on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Job Dean Cox again, this time he's in! At the second time of asking, Dean Cox takes Leighton Orient a step closer to Wembley. Carroll. Jonathan Tahue. Capable of anything. Tahue! Equaliser for Leighton Orient! We're not a city, we're not a town. We're the only one of us around And you know where we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the best Whatever challenge, whatever test We'll lay an Orion from E10 Lay an Orion from E10 Okay, good evening everybody and welcome to the Orient Hour. My name is Billy Herring and I'll be your host for tonight. And we're joined on the panel tonight by Gareth Platt. Gareth, how are you? I'm good, Billy. Good to be here as always. I really enjoy it. Gareth, I'm surprised you've said hello to me. I'm, I'm going to pick a bone with you before we start, actually, right? Because on Saturday at the game, I saw you in the pub before the game, and I was like, Gareth, Gareth, waving to you. Nothing, blank me completely. Then I saw you at the game walking past. Gareth, Gareth, blank me again. And all my mates turned around and they were like, I don't think you know that bloke. Either that or his name's not Gareth. So anyway, it's nice to actually see you and say hello to you. I probably. did wave to you at the station afterwards, Bill, don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> you did actually, to be fair. And um, making his Orient Hour debut today is Grant Conway. Grant, how are you? Oh, good evening. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, it's an honour to be here. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us. All right, chaps, we've got a busy show tonight. Uh, we've got Richie Wellens, we've got Dave Victor, we've got Roper's Rant, we've got a brilliant interview coming up with Matt Simpson about a brand new podcast that is uh, going to be being released over the next couple of days or so, and we'll preview the Carlisle game as well. So, let's get straight into it then, the Hartlepool game. So we line up uh, 4-3-3 with Vigaru, Brown, Beckles, Turns and Sweeney at the back, Elmazudi, Prattley and Moncur in midfield. With Soterio, Tryon and Smith up top. Subs were Reese Byrne, McCart, Hunt, Thompson, Sadliak, Clay and Kalman. Uh, gentlemen, what did you make of the lineup first of all? Gareth, I'll come to you. I thought it was quite surprising actually because I was expecting a few changes uh, in more in the forward positions because it, it really hasn't been working up there and I thought we might see you know different personnel but the only real change was moving Smith over to the right and putting Soterio on the left which... It worked to an extent because the only real threat we carried was from Paul Smith down the right-hand side. But, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is in terms of the front line, but I was expecting more changes, I think. So. No Tom James in the squad as well. Yes. So not just not in the team, but not in the squad yeah, either. There was no mention of an injury. So Yeah, I think that's punishment. It's happened before. I can't remember exactly when. It was a couple of months ago, wasn't it, when he made a bit of a ricket and uh, didn't feature in the next game. So, And equally, I think Rob Hunt was coming back to fitness, wasn't he? So I think the plan was perhaps to play, re- replace Brown, who's returning to fitness himself, with Hunt. So I think that was Grant, any surprises for you at all? No, I expected him to stay with the um, 11 that he had from the Colchester game. It didn't go great at the end of the Colchester game, but up until then... Um, so I wasn't too surprised actually to see him stay uh, loyal to the starting eleven. It was just the subs again that 
became an issue at the end of the game. Pleased to see Brown back at right back? Oh, definitely. He's right up there with one of my players of the season for the role that he's played, you know, as a fairly young member of the squad. Um, and the fact that he's um, come in and played in several different positions and done a great job there wherever he's been. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. When I, obviously, the first 15 minutes was a bit scrappy. Neither side really creating too much. I think they were both trying to play football and, uh, you know, we started to get on top and create a few chances. Um, if I'm honest, though, I don't really want to talk about the first half because, obviously, all the action then comes in the second half. So, 48 minutes in, great strike by Paul Smith. And as you mentioned earlier on, you know, he, he was the one danger man, the one man who looked like he was going to score. Obviously, Richie Wellens mentioned he, uh, he probably should have had a hat-trick. And uh, it was a great strike. Obviously, deflection took it past the goalkeeper. But if I'm honest, I think it was going in anyway. Um, what, did you th- what did you think, Gareth? Yeah, no, I th- as I said previously, I think, I think that Paul Smith it was the one threat. I didn't see a lot from the others in terms of, you know, chances created, threat. Uh, opportunity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and it really wasn't a surprise. I was actually making my way back uh, to my seat or to the area I was standing in, and uh, yeah, so I was had a really good view of it, and it did take a deflection, but I was I was convinced it was going anyway. It's ten for him now, isn't it? So yeah, quite a difference compared to everybody else in the side, isn't it? So. Yeah, reaches double figures for the season. Um, Grant, what did you make of how we played in the first half, sort of up to the goal? I mean, I felt as though we were in control, but without necessarily... Uh, we threatened a lot, but we never really created too many clear-cut chances. No, I think it's quite typical of our performances away uh, in the first half that we have a bit of overall control without really much threat, and we nullify the opposition, and then we seem to come into our own in the second half, usually. Unfortunately, the last few games, we seem to have then got into position in the last 15 minutes that we start to concede... Um, but other than that, really, the pattern of games has been quite consistent. And uh, Mr. Smith really is the X factor, isn't he, in the team? And that's usually enough to, to get us home, usually, in games to, to get us results either home or away. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, when we've been playing really well, it seems to be that the clean sheets we keep are the ones that, you know, are important. The last four games, obviously, four draws, we can't keep a clean sheet all of a sudden. The personnel hasn't changed that much. Um, so what do we think's going wrong? I mean, I've put, you know, I, I'm making notes during the game. Up until up until the, you know, 65th minute or so, we were in control. You know, I mean, I I, I think that there was there was there was a couple of uh, bits of lapse of concentrations by uh, Jaden Sweeney. Got caught on the ball a couple of times, taking too many touches when maybe he should have um, turned the fullback, knocked it down the channel, and just uh, gave um, Soterio something to run onto. Um, but then we start tinkering, Richie starts tinkering, starts making subs and in the 68th minute um, Hunt came on for Brown um, so Brown again like we said, decent first game back um, look, looking a bit leggy, um, their, their uh, wide players started to go past him on the inside as uh, Richie well has mentioned um, and so obviously Rob Hunt brought on to shore up the uh, the back four and um, I thought Hunt did alright when he came on to be honest, I thought that they um, he was no better, no worse than anyone else, I thought he was fairly solid for any, uh, when he came on um, and then in the 79th minute, for whatever reason, Richie puts on three subs, uh, McCart for Sweeney, Sadlier for Smith and Kelman for Drynan. Now, Richie Wellens has got to take a lot of credit for how we've done this particular this, this year. But I think he's made an absolutely... Well, I think he's made two huge errors in the last two games. Mm. Um, obviously, against Colchester and uh, Hartlepool on... Um, on Saturday. Uh, Gareth, coming over to you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the easy answer, isn't it? 
the easy answer is that, oh, we conceded goals after we made substitutions, so that must be the issue. Yeah, we've taken players off, we've given them too much space, and they've managed to find a way back into the game. That's the easy answer. Um, as you were saying before that, Bill, um, it, personnel-wise, it's the same players, or similar players. There's a few little changes based on injury and performance, etc. Uh, but it's the same setup and unit. I wonder if it's mental. I wonder if, not mental as in lazy, casual attitude, but I wonder if the pressure's getting to the players a little bit. So, I mean, we didn't score enough goals, all th we haven't scored enough goals all through the season. Um, but in the first half of the season, we, one was enough because we closed the game down, we managed the game out well, we didn't make silly errors at the back. And I'm wondering now if that's what we're seeing, whether it's a balance of things, you can't always get away with it, you can't always see out a game because you know, you've got to factor in the other team, or whether the players are thinking, we can't bugger this up, we can't mess this up, we can't, we can't do something wrong, we can't throw this away. And that gets into the head and they're not quite focused on what they should be doing and perhaps that's where it is. So I'd like, I don't think it's laziness, I don't think it's complacency, I don't think it's a casual attitude. I think it's probably intensity and nerves perhaps getting to the players a bit. Because if you look at our squad, there isn't, experience-wise in terms of years, there's quite a lot there. But in terms of winning things and going the distance and going up you know, in the lower leagues, there isn't a lot there. There's not a lot of players who can really point to you know, seasons where they've seen out the job on, on a number of occasions, really. So. Grant, um, I feel for, um, for McCart, he's getting a lot of stick at the moment for the, from uh, some certain sections of the European fan base, even though you know, he's played a game and a bit for us. I think that, you know, I mean, obviously, he's, he's come on for Jaden Sweeney. He's clearly not match fit. He's been asked to play left back when he's a centre half. Um, for whatever reason, people are blaming him for the goal when actually it was Ed Turns' fault. Ed Turns missed the initial bouncing ball on the left hand side. Let we let the ball bounce. He got beaten by their centre forward. The cross comes in. Look, McCarth's wrong footed. You know, maybe he should have a bit more composure. Whatever it is, you know, he hits his heel. It comes out, and obviously, their uh, their centre forward Connor Jennings um, slams it home in the eighty first minute. Um, but to me, I think he's being treated a bit unfairly. Certainly at the end of the game, there was, uh, there was a few shouts from, the, uh, from where I was uh, towards McCart, um, calling him McCart Horse, um, you, know, you know, an original nickname, I'm sure. But to me, I don't think that's fair. I think that, you know, he's coming in the Stevenage game. He was, it was the first game he's played all season, pretty much, via injury. And then he's come in against a team that were big, physical. They're, 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 at the time, they were on a really good run. Um, and then, obviously, he's been asked to play left-back uh, on Saturday. What do you think? Yeah, it's really unfair criticism. If you've not had the minutes, you know, you need to get the experience. You need to get the minutes and your legs in the team in order to be able to, to, be able to do a job. It's just a bit unfortunate. The Stevenage game, you know, he changed virtually the whole back four, Richie, and he admitted after he made a mistake. And you can't make the guy a scapegoat for that. That's really, that really is unfair. And then on Saturday, you know, he's not been on the pitch for since Stevenage. I don't think he's played again, has he? No, he hasn't. So we're like, we're two, yet. three months on, and he's coming on for the last 10 minutes. Playing it's a, it's, it's a difficult, yeah. difficult role. And I felt a bit sorry. I felt sorry for him. But as you say, could we stop the cross coming in earlier? Um, or could we have defended from the front earlier? I mean, it's just just a case of uh, a number of factors rather than just being able to find a scapegoat, which is really unfair. If he's not if he's not doing his job in training, Richie wouldn't put him in. You know, we have to trust Richie's judgment. Richie felt that he was ready to come back in, um, and then we'll see what he does this week um, with the gut when we're at home to Carlisle because it's a big game coming up. Okay, well let's hear from Richie Wellens and see what he has to say. Richie, thanks for joining us. Sense of deja vu, another point from a winning position. Yeah, but we should have been out of sight. We should have been two or three up. Um, and we shouldn't have let the, their goal. It's a bad mistake. 
obviously we should deal with it down in the, in the, in the, the left-hand corner. Um, it's a bad mistake and we should deal with it. And apart from before that, there was no, there was no danger at all. But then obviously you're playing against a club that are fighting for their lives. The atmosphere is good. They've got a new manager and he's trying to change the, the momentum of the club. And, um, and, we, and you could sense that. So um, in the end, what, what the biggest frustration is when we do what we planned on doing, it's pretty, pretty clear today, um, then we look to fret. When we've done it quick and at a tempo, the goal's a, a really good example. I think you can get either side of Silla um, because he's asked, for to, he's asked to do too much to find the opposite tens. And we've done that for the goal. Paul Smith was in numerous times in the first half but we just need to these little moments mainly from the like you look at Sweeney he's done great Sweeney's done great but little moments where he's just got to hook the ball on you see their goal it's just a long ball down the channel instead he's, he's taking a touch and he'll he'll, he'll grow he'll, he'll get better he'll improve just little decision making I thought our game management was, was not good in the last 15 minutes Paul Smith took his goal so well named to double figures now yeah well done to him um, we worked on that playing on the outside of their they're back free and we didn't do it enough. Even I think Paul should be coming, coming away with an hat-trick today if we see the pass quicker. Um, but I've said it all along, we are nowhere near the finished article. We've got so much improvement in us and if the players take on board a little bit more, um, then we'll, we'll, we'll improve. And, and it sort of sounds unbelievable in the position that we're in, but we've got so much improvement in us. Is Paul OK? He seemed to pick no, up a just, knock. Yeah, he just felt, felt something. He got a kick on his ankle, so... Um, you know, he obviously went down. He wanted to come off, so um, I think that's probably two games now that our substitutes has not real come, really come on and had the impact that we want. Um, so again, that's another area where we need to improve. And the reason for those substitutions, particularly in Jaden Sweeney, was that because of an injury? No, his decision making wasn't good enough in the last ten minutes, and it's like <clears throat> you don't want to take him off, but you can see that the threat. You look at Jordan. Jordan's a little bit different. He brought McDonald on. And the two or three occasions where Jordan stayed on the 1v1, he went past him and cut inside. Don't mind people beating you on the outside. You can't be cutting and having shots. So, But we knew that Jordan would become leggy and we had Rob Hunt to, to give us half an hour if needed. And I thought Hunt would come back and he's never been away. Um, obviously, it's difficult for Jamie there, but we just wanted to be a little bit more solid. But um, I think more than anything, more than anything we, f- we stopped playing it with 20 minutes ago. We stopped playing. And I want him to be brave. And I know the pitches are bobbly and... And it's difficult to play on, but he wasn't brave enough to play and we should have been. Back-to-back games against sides fighting for league survival and coming up are teams at the other end of the table, starting with Carlisle. Um, maybe it'll stimulate us more. And by the way, it's not easy coming into places like you look at Gillingham, Colchester. They've all picked up the, different, the totally, totally different teams to what they was um, <coughs> at the start of the season. And you look at this club here, uh, John's coming now, I think he's had five games, five draws. And he said it in his in his pre-match meet. This is a difficult place to go. You know, our fans are unbelievable to come all that way in the numbers that they did. It's a difficult place to go, and people have to take that into consideration. That it's a season, and when you play a season, you need so many wins, so many draws, and you have so many defeats. So, I think it's not a bad point. We would have liked three. We should have got three in the in a manner. First 70 minutes was nothing really against us I can't remember and obviously the game does change but we need to handle the momentum of the game a little bit better and our game management and decision making needs to be better but more than anything be a bit braver and it is important to pick up points when probably the team isn't playing at their best well you Dave it'll get to the season where people will drop points unexpectedly yeah and when people get there and they can see the line they'll have a wobble um, and just like when you know you, you get this situation where clubs are fighting for their lives, they can play for freedom because it's almost expected. Once they've got a few points now and it becomes close, that's when nervous moments start. But 
in the first 70 minutes, I didn't, I didn't feel any anxiety from our team. We could have been better. Um, but like I say, the, the, the pitch is difficult, a difficult place to come. Um, and if I think if we just defend that ball into the channel well, I, there was no real danger in the game. But once you allow a ball to bounce and then a big striker to lean in and cross it, the ricochet doesn't go our way. And to be fair, the lad puts it away well. But then it's a little bit of a different game, and I need, and that's where you need to see leaders, not in running round and shouting, just by making right decisions, by being composed. If it's on to put him behind, put him behind. If it's on to take a touch, just to slow the game down and keep possession. We didn't do that in the last 20 minutes, slow the game down and keep possession um, for my liking enough. How's Theo? Will he be available for Carlo? I'm not sure. It might be a, a week too early. Um, we're probably looking at the, the weekend after, if he is to be fit. He's quite a strange, a strange injury, so um, Theo's a big... Phil was a big loss because in his press, he he knows exactly what he worked with us for a lot for a long time now. But in Smith, Ruel, uh, Monks, and Sads, we have four of the best players in the league for that position. They need to step up. They need to do more. Especially Sads today, disappointed when he come onto onto the pitch. Didn't give us enough. Should have seen the pitcher quick enough before they scored. We should we should be going running through on goal instead. We can see the goal. But um, no, the four players that I really really like. You watch him in training, so, so good. And we just need to replicate that in a game. And looking ahead to that Carlisle game, in terms of the pitch, it was uh, something that you were concerned about uh, last weekend and there's a couple of games this weekend. Yeah, there's two games this weekend, but I think the weather's picked up in terms of getting a little bit of sun in it so the grass can grow. Um, I'm hoping that by the time um, we play there next week, there's a little bit more grass growing in it, so there's a little bit more... The ball will comfort a bit more, and obviously then we can water it. But at the moment, it's just dry and and a bit bare in patches. So I've not watched the women's game. It was Tottenham, so I'll have a look, and hopefully the pitch will be a little bit better. Thanks, Richie. No Thank problem. you. Thank, Thank you, to Richie Wellens, and let's hear from Dave Victor. It's tough at the top, a nine-match unbeaten run impressive, but for the fourth consecutive game, the O's had to settle for a point from a leading position. On Saturday, Lake Knight dominated the first half. Paul Smith causing a constant threat down the right against the side with the worst defensive record in the division. And it was the O's top goal scorer who moved his tally into double figures with a well-taken left foot strike early into the second half. And it was so good to see that famous celebration again in front of over 500 travelling supporters, magnificent throughout. But it was the appearance of Hartlepool substitute MacDonald that had more of an impact for John Askey's side than he should have. The ex-Walsall man combined well with Dan Kemp, who demonstrated energy and skill against his former club, and he came so close to snatching the winner. The manner in which Leighton Orient let their lead slip will no doubt concern and frustrate the O's boss. Two individual errors committed by a defence that looked unsettled, especially on the left following those second-half changes. Nevertheless, it was good to see Rob Hunt back again. So we're left hoping, once more, that Paul Smith's injury is not a significant one and that Theo Archibald will be back soon. For me, late night this season have been at their best when Paul and Theo have been in the starting eleven. It's only happened once in 2023 and it secured a precious victory over Doncaster with that great strike from Theo. Let's hope that we'll see the winning combination back soon. Interesting to note how some records keep repeating themselves. Colchester had that remarkable run of results in E10, unbeaten in six, winning four. And it's a similar story when the O's travel to Hartlepool. It's now one win in six. Alberto Cavasin, the victorious manager, I remember after that game, he said that he would hope that his side would be allowed a day off from training as a result of the win. I understand they weren't, but at least they were allowed home. 
The O's have come such a long way since those dark days. Nine massive games remain as we seek to secure a return to football third flight. It's a goal shared by Saturday's visitors, Carlisle, who have been transformed under Paul Simpson. The Cumbrians fighting for league survival when he returned to Brunton Park back in February last year. Under Simpson's leadership, United have previously gained two promotions. But at the weekend... Their defeat at Big Spenders Gillingham saw them slip out of the automatic promotion places and it's now three without a goal scored for United. Simpson's side felt they deserved something more than the game when the O's took maximum points when we met back in October. In fact, Carlisle's chairman received an official apology due to the performance of the match officials that afternoon. Carlisle have won on their last four visits to Brisbane Road. You have to go back to January 14 for the last time the O's won this fixture in E10. It's now time to put the record straight. A massive weekend in League 2. Stockport face Salford City. Stevenage travel to inform Northampton. And of course, it's top v fourth in E10. Now is the time to embrace the pressure that comes with being league leaders. Thank you to Dave Victor there. OK, let's get straight into it then, chaps. Uh, here's my take on it. I've got some questions. First of all, um, I, don't know, I don't understand why um, Richie Wellens took, took uh, Drynan off. Um, he's the only forward we've got with any physical presence. And once he'd gone, the ball just didn't stick up front at all. Um, Kelman will run around a lot, but he doesn't have that same physicality. Um, and it just seemed that, you know, he can't. he's not great with his back to goal. In the last 10 minutes, it was always going to be a backs-to-the-wall jobby. So why are we why are we taking off the only player with any physicality? Um, especially when Sotiriou was having a poor game himself and kept giving the ball away. Why did he take off Drynan, leave Sotiriou on? Why not take Sotiriou off, put Kelman out wide, who still gives you that, that energy, that, that work rate, and leave Drynan on for that physicality? Uh, Grant, I'll come over to you first. Um, well, that's a difficult question. Obviously, we're not we're not sure what's going on in Richie's mind. Was was uh, Drinan, you know, tired? And did he did we need some fresh legs? Um, Charlie Kilmer had an excellent game at Grimsby. I think that he's actually he's closing down, etc. In his energy, he's actually better than Drinan's. I think he's got a bit more speed. Maybe the physicality isn't there, but maybe he was thinking that we were going to knock the ball into channels and Kelman was going to chase it and use that pace that way rather than trying to hit up to Drinan to hold the ball up. Um, maybe that was what his theory was for the last 10 minutes we don't know I think they've both done a good job for the squad through the season um, obviously they haven't made, had many goals between them um, but you know it's a job that's been shared really pretty much and it was pretty consistent with how Richie's been through the season with using one or other and using them as and replacing each other um, the balance of the team he kept the balance of the team basically the same Sotirio always takes that risk when he's got the ball, but sometimes that can come off and end up with a goal, etc. And maybe he felt that was still a benefit to have on the pitch. Um, and Smith has already ha- had to be replaced, so it, it was a bit difficult, really. Maybe he felt that he needed that the ace in the, in the pack still on the pitch with a Sotirio that might be able to produce something to get us a goal if we needed it. All right, I mean, a, a different question for you then, Gareth. Okay. I'm a huge Sadlier fan, uh, but he doesn't give you the same defensive work that a player like Kelman uh, Smith or Sotiriou does, actually. Um, why put Sadlier on in a game like that? And not someone like Craig Clay, who you could tuck on the right hand side of midfield. He's not gonna he's not gonna score you a goal, but he's certainly tightening everything up. Certainly when, you know, it seemed to be their left hand side they were pressing down, albeit their the goal came from the right hand side after that mistake by turns. Um you know, 
we then they then go on and hit the post and the bar and we we're actually we're lucky to come away with a point. So mm. why not go two banks of four, four four two, tighten it up. Um, I'm going to echo what, what Grant said. We can't possibly guess what Richie's thinking. Um, I think on the Kelvin and Drinden thing, I think he's, he's deci- undecided between the two anyway. And I think that's the issue. And I think, it's, I think it's an issue of, because we had to sign players in January because of injuries and, and need to cover people, etc., etc., I think we've probably got too many players now. And it's not 100% clear what the first choice options are. So... Obviously, that, that comes with it. And I got the feeling the subs were less tactical, and I don't want to belittle or, or, or second-guess Richie. I felt they were less tactical and more about pe- giving people minutes. And I think that may yeah, have contributed to the issues that we, that we faced in the game. You're right. Sadly, is a wonderful player, and I like watching him. I love watching him. I perhaps would have offered him an opportunity to start at number 10 before now. That's what I would have done. But away from home, 1-0 up, when you're trying to close down a game, he doesn't strike me as the first person you'd look at. Yeah, as you said, Craig Clay is one that springs to mind. You know, there's other options. We perhaps could have condensed the park a bit and stuff. So, yeah. So, I don't know, but it seemed odd to me. Okay, so having said all of those things, we're actually a point better off than we were when we started the game on Saturday. <laughs> so whilst it's four, it's now four uh, draws in a row, it's not all doom and gloom. It seems to me that no one wants to win the league and no one wants to get promoted because obviously Carlisle and Stevenage both lost with, with Northampton being the only one of the top four that won. So therefore, you know, we end up a point better off. Um, one thing I will say, the smattering of O's fans who booed at the end of the game, you're a disgrace and you need to give your heads a wobble and look in the mirror, basically, because, you know, you're top of, we're top of the league. We've never been in this position for so many points clear with 10 games to go. I mean, just grow up, basically. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, yeah, the, the players didn't deserve that, you know. they And after, it's a long trip and, you know, I think before the game we would have taken a point, possibly. But um, anyway, there we go. All right, uh, so it leaves us eight points clear of Carlisle in fourth with a game in hand, five points clear of Northampton, also with a game in hand. Um, Let's hear from Roper, shall we, with our this week's Roper's rant. Over to you, Matt. A couple of decent pop groups have sung about three being the magic number. We're going to have to go higher than that. And 84, in my belief, is the magic number for the O's this season. 10 points off of 84, and I think that will do it. 10 points needed, that's three wins and a draw. Sounds like we're getting rather desperate, maybe after four draws and chucking away another couple of points at Hartlepool, we are. But where are those 10 points going to come from? It would be easy to say and pick out the easier uh, fixtures on paper. But just looking at our remaining games, I am hopefully certain we can beat Harrogate at home, Crewe at home, and then one of Gillingham or Sutton away and getting a point in at least one of those other games. 84 points would mean that Northampton are going to need 15 from eight games at 1.87 points per game. Stevenage would need 18 from nine at two points a game. And Carlisle actually would need 19 from eight at 2.3 points a game. Those are hefty run-ins or points per game totals that those three would have to make up to top all the O's and send us free-falling into fourth and the playoff dates, which we hopefully are not looking at. Like I say, it may sound like we're getting a little bit desperate here, but as I've said before, the lead we've built up over the early part of the season and... Even though it's been four draws, the current unbeaten run 
gives us that breathing space. This weekend, we've got our own form of Super Saturday. And I can't believe Sky have overlooked the fact that we play Carlisle in fourth. Northampton play uh, uh, play Stevenage in second and third. And on the Friday night, Stockport actually plays Sutton in fifth and sixth. This could be a really, really big weekend for the O's and our other contenders. Beat Carlisle, a draw Northampton and Stevenage. Well, wouldn't that be a magical weekend? And it really, really would then send the figures I've just given you into even more of an easy running for O's to achieve what we set out to do this season and get promoted back to League One. The one-all draw at Hartlepool was very, very frustrating again. A game seemingly that we had in our hands and we threw it away defensively. This really, really can't continue and we've got to really get that win from somewhere. Obviously, beating Carlisle, one of our closest contenders, would be a massive, massive bonus by taking three points off of them. Carlisle haven't won in three, or haven't won in four, you could say. So, as to what result comes on Saturday, who knows? Just a final word again on the fans. The seemingly smallish meltdown on Saturday night on social media following the 1-1 draw against Hartlepool. I just can't understand. Surely now is not the time for inquests, O's fans. Yes, no one's immune from criticism, that being Richie himself, the board, the players. But come on, is it really time at this stage of the season to be getting on people's backs? The knee-jerk reaction after games, I always think, can be a little bit, mm, yes, Fans think, ah, we've drawn, and take to social media and moan really without thinking. Actually, looking at Saturday, we were one point better off than Stevenage and Carlisle, who both blew out. So, was it that bad a weekend? Like I say, Carlisle at home this Saturday, a win would do us the power of good. Let's pack out Brisbane Road, let's clear our throats, make one hell of a racket, And let's get those three points and give ourselves three points towards the magic number, 84. Up the O's. Come on. Thank you, Matt Roper. All right, let's move on from the game then and uh, let's talk about something different. Um, Exciting stuff from uh, Matt Simpson and James Masters. I've got a uh, a new podcast coming out called The Circus Upstairs. And uh, they released the trailer on Twitter the other day. And I think it's fair to say everyone got quite excited about it. So um, they've gone behind the scenes with with some interviews with various staff members and ex-players and and uh, ex-staff members about the Francesco Bacchetti era. I had to say that very carefully then and not the name that I usually call him. Um, And so um, let's, uh, let's hear from Matt. And uh, I, I interviewed him last night, and uh, let's hear from him. Okay, so I'm handing over from the studio to myself. Uh, I'm live on Zoom uh, with Matt Simpson, who you might also know as uh, West Stand O. Those of you that are on Twitter, Matt, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me on, Billy. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Yeah, and I was just saying uh, just now, it's good to actually finally meet you face to face. Yeah, I try I try and stay a bit elusive. Um, but yeah, I am real. <laughs> yes, as we all do, those of us that are on Twitter. There you go. Um, how's, how are you finding this season? Matt, are you enjoying it? 
I have been enjoying it. Um, I am very nervous that we're going to choke the last nine games and it will be a catastrophic but very orient end to the season. I hope that's not going to be the case. Um, I'm quietly confident that somehow we'll scrape through through a bizarre series of results, not the ones we expect, um, but I'm hopeful we can just about make it. Do you know, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? When you're unbeaten in nine, but then you also haven't won in four, you kind of go, ah, but then it seems that no one wants to win the league because no one around us is necessarily going on a fly and run either, eh? Well, exactly. Um, I think we'll be okay. I suspect we'll lose the games we're expecting to win, but pull off a couple of shock away victories against uh, some of the uh, harder teams and somehow just about make it. That's my hope anyway. Well, let's hope we get a decent result against Carlisle on Saturday. That uh, that certainly re-kickstart the season, shall we say? So, um, right. So let's actually talk about why you're on the uh, on the show today. Um, I believe you've got an interesting project coming up, a uh, a podcast series called The Circus Upstairs. Uh, just uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? I definitely do. So, well, hopefully, most days fans will get the reference to the Circus Upstairs. Um, quote from the famous one of John Sitton's famous rants in 1995 um, a time where the club was going through quite a lot of turmoil and obviously all O's fans will remember similar and much much worse turmoil during the reign of Francesco Pacchetti so um, during lockdown with more time on my hands uh, and alongside my friend and fellow long-suffering Orient fan James Masters um, we came up with the idea of doing a podcast series about the Bacchetti era um, by trying to talk to as many people as we could on the inside of the club uh, at the time to try and tell the story of what happened, to try and unpick the madness, to um, look at some of the crazier incidents. And, yeah, just to try and make sense of it all with a bit of hindsight, having uh, had a bit of time to get over it, to go through the therapy and to be prepared to finally face up to the um, catastrophic, awful period that that was. Yeah, I mean, oh, taking us back to the sitting time as well, we've we've been through the ringer a bit, haven't we, all in fans? But certainly the uh, the Bichetti era was one that, um, I mean, it almost unheard of in football in terms of the, the things that went on during that particular time period. Um, I know that obviously a lot of staff that were at the club at that particular time were under NDAs and things like that when Bichetti left. Um, did that hinder you at all? Did that just make the search for people who could talk a bit more interesting? Uh, it definitely presented a couple of challenges to us, but we did manage to speak to a lot of people who were on the inside of the club at the time who were very happy and willing to talk quite candidly about some of the experiences that they had um, and I believe Mr. Bacchetti himself is uh, currently awaiting extradition to Albania, where he's been sentenced to 17 years in prison for fraud. So James and I are pretty hopeful that we're not going to be sued for doing this, um, as hopefully he's got better things to focus on. So we have received the uh, advice of a lawyer friend of mine. So anyway, fingers crossed. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's a that's actually a point, really, because I see, you know, it's a pretty brave thing what you're doing here, trying to obviously uh, uncover more more of what went on. And, you know, did it ever cross your mind, you and James, were you ever worried about Piketty sort of coming after you or anything? I don't mean like as a hitman, I mean, obviously, like legally. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, we are slightly worried about that. But... Um, um, 
I think I think it's all right. It's, it's all done in the right spirit. Um, yeah, it's a risk worth taking, right? So. Uh, I don't know if 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 you're interviewing me in a year later from a prison cell, then our judgment has obviously been catastrophically wrong from a legal point of view. <laughs> well, let's all keep our fingers crossed that that's not the case. Um, do you want to just um, so just um, talk us through sort of um, some of the highlights that, that from your perspective that we've got to look forward to uh, whilst listening to the to the show? Sure. Well, we we tried to piece it together season by season, so it's uh, it's going to be sort of eleven or twelve episodes, I think, in total. The first season, the first four episodes are going to drop this Sunday. Um, and yeah, we tried to do a couple of things. We tried to look at some of the incidents that most O's fans will be quite familiar with, the most sort of high profile things. So obviously, the team being imprisoned in a hotel for a week after the defeat at Hartlepool in the 2015-16 season. Uh, in the same season, Bacchetti himself attacking Andy Hessenthaler on the pitch. And we actually spoke to Andy himself about the incident. And I think for the first time, he was pretty candid about what happened, how that made him feel. He was actually pretty um, damaged by that, not just physically. I think his ass was okay. Um, but mentally, I think it affected him quite a lot. And it was actually quite moving talking to him about that. Um, so, yeah, some of those incidents that um, most O's fans would be familiar with. Um, we spoke to Phil Othon about the time he was asked by Alessandro Angeleri to make a sarcastic, jokey announcement about Darius Henderson turning up late. That was mad. Game. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, yeah I do, yeah. Um, yeah, so quite a few of those sort of slightly mad in incidents. Um, but we also talked to... Um, people behind the scenes so we had some really good conversations with the likes of Tom Jeffs who was the commercial manager about at the time just about what was going on where money was being spent um, some of the slightly crazy initiatives that Alessandro Angeleri came up with he's quite a key character in this drama by the way psychodrama I call it um, so yeah just some of the stuff that might not have been as uh, visible or familiar to those fans that was going on behind the scenes um, there's a lot about the reality show. We've devoted a whole episode to that. We found the director of the show, a lovely wow. Italian called Alessandro Ugo, and spent a lot of time talking about his experiences of shooting the show, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, he, he He's a hilarious guy. So, yeah, there's a bit of insight into what went on there. Um, did you did you find the winners? Because, obviously, supposedly the winners were supposed to get a contract with the O's. Obviously, we never found out who won. I know that that was bizarre, wasn't it? So I, I do know who the winners are. I know who they're playing for. That's going to be revealed in oh. episode three. I, I haven't yet managed to get them on the podcast, but um, I'm really, really going to try. Um, but yes, they definitely didn't get the contract that was promised as part of the reality show. And that's just like another one of those bizarre things. It's like you shoot a whole reality show where the prize is contract and then just don't do it. I mean, yeah. it's just one of the really, really crazy things that went on. And probably um, it was really revealing talking to some of the people who had to clean up the mess after Bacchetti left. So we talked to um, Marshall Taylor, the interim CEO who came over and took over. And he he basically went in there on that first day and tried to sort out the mess that had been left um, of the club. And it was very revealing just talking to him about just quite how badly out of control the club had got when uh, when Bacchetti left. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will still remember that first friendly uh, after the club was saved, um, uh, and you know, Burnham wasn't it? It was, it was at Burnham, and um, there was like, I mean, there must have been nearly a thousand those fans there for a pre-season friendly, and everyone was just hugging each other and stuff like that because it was, it was just, it, it almost the football almost didn't matter. It was just the fact that the club was still there. Um, you know, um, yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget that that particular game. Um, did you manage to contact anyone like so the like so? I mean, one manager that I felt really sorry for was Alberto Cavasson. Um, I I feel that he really he tried to get, you know, Orient. You know, I'm I don't know. Did you ever manage to get to speak to anyone like that at all? We haven't yet got to Cavasson, but the door is still open. But we have got some really. Um, interesting stories about the Caverson area, particularly from a, a couple of the journalists who were covering Orient at the time. So um, some O's fans will remember Shane Ladithi, um, who was covering for the Guardian, <laughs> sorry, at the time, uh, and George Sessions. Uh, and they had quite a lot of dealings with Caverson and quite a lot of amusing interactions with him. I think he was genuinely a good guy, but probably... Uh, a fish out of water being um, put into that Orient job at that time. And obviously there were various other characters involved in um, the uh, the Bichetti era, um, the likes of Rob Gagliardi, who uh, started off as a scout, I believe, and then ended up as the goalkeeping coach. Um, did you speak to anyone that either worked with with uh, with him or, or did you manage to speak to people like, like him, for example? You know, we tried to talk to Rob Gagliardi because he is a key character in this drama. Also, extremely handsome man. I don't know if you remember. I have to point that. Good looking um, lad, but bad attitude from uh, from what I remember. <laughs> well, he was goalkeeping coach. He was a scout. He was translator. I mean, he took on a lot of roles there. Um, he he did get back to us, but didn't want to participate. Um, he issued us a, a statement to us that we'll, we'll read out on the podcast, but ba- basically sort of defending his record as a scout, saying that, and this is quite a consistent theme um, through the podcast, that the Italians believe that they, they put in the money, they bought the players, and if anyone's responsible for the lack of success, it's the players, and they feel like they did their job you know, they invested in the club. And when you talk to, obviously, other people in the club, we had a good conversation with Matt Porter. Of, of of course, just putting money in to buy players is not the only way that you need to run a football club to create success. So a lot of the story focuses on all the other stuff that they got wrong and actually the culture they created, the atmosphere in the club that meant that even though on paper we had a pretty strong squad for most of those seasons, of course, that wasn't enough to be successful. Um, we did talk to Lee Harrison, the um, yeah, yeah. assistant manager and coach, um, quite extensively. He was very candid and had some quite bruising experiences with that regime. So, um, yeah, he talks quite a bit about the role of Rob Gagliardi in it. It's, you know, it's interesting. I'm taking you back to um, just a couple of points that you one that you mentioned about Andy Hessenthaler earlier on. And um, mm. I always had a real issue with when... Andy Hessenthaler became the manager. Well, uh, by de facto, obviously, by because everyone else had left and no one else wanted the job. Um, you know, uh, there was there were times when I, I, he just sat on the bench and just watched things unfold. And I remember saying, like, "What's he doing? Like, you know, he's he's paid to do a job and what have you and stuff." But actually, when you think back now, and obviously you mentioned about the fact that you know he was essentially assaulted by the the the, the chairman at the time, you know, when you when you look back now, I almost, I, I feel sorry for him, and I actually feel sorry for the way that I 
you know, maybe shouting from the, the crowd, Heston Tyler, do your job. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, I, I feel bad about that, if that makes sense. Yeah, you should do, Billy, because when you <laughs> listen to him, he's very sympathetic and you'll feel awful for getting on his back so much. But um, no, I mean, to be honest, we put the same question to him. You know, you know why, why did you stick it out? Like, you know, you could always already see during his time as assistant to Ian Hendon, all of the stuff that was going on, like why would he continue? And he he was really humble and quite touching about that because essentially like it's a job. He had a family to provide for. He needed an income. And he says in football, once you're out of football, it's really hard to get back in. And he genuinely felt that he could make a difference. He felt he had a good squad there. He felt he could, he could um, use his experience and expertise to work around some of the challenges with the regime uh, unfortunately he wasn't able to do that but I think in his heart he felt he could give it a go and try and make a success of it yeah um it's just I'm, yeah, I mean as you say I, I think everyone who worked under uh, Mr Bichetti was uh, was doomed to failure obviously you know it's all very well chucking money at the club but when you have 11 managers in three years it's, it's just not gonna work is it um from, from your own personal perspective, obviously, when you're watching the games and things under that era, at what point did you start to think, like, actually, this is not great? Like, you know, I mean, I know when we got relegated the first in the first season, um, I remember some of my sort of friends who I sit with were like, well, sometimes when you buy a new house, you have to gut the house first before you can start to rebuild and all this. But I remember a conversation that I had. Um, it was through a friend of mine, actually, and um, they passed on. So they they had a conversation with Matt Porter, and I know Matt, and um, and um, they sort of said to me, I spoke to Matt the other day, and he said that all the things that we'd built, like meaning him and Barry Hearn, had been ruined within three months. And at that point, for me, alarm bells started ringing, and I was like. I mean, surely it can't be that bad. I mean, wait yourself and, and obviously, and James potentially as well. When did alarm bells start ringing for you guys? I think it was when Slade was forced out for me. Um, it it felt like that just wasn't the way Orient had behaved in the past. And, you know, for um, many years under Barry Hearn, he's very loyal to managers for a long time, even with people like me and you shouting for their heads, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he he stuck by Russell Slade actually through that really bad second season in Yeah, seven games, seven games, yeah, seven defeats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When when, you know, we were we were only just saved from relegation, I think, in the penultimate game of the season by virtue of was it Wickham winning their game? Yeah. Um and I think in you know, in the current football climate, any other chairman would have got rid of Slade during that season, but he didn't. He stuck with him. And then obviously from there we pushed on and on right up to getting to the playoff final of League One. And I really valued that loyalty. And it seemed that Slade was given such a short time by the Bacchetti regime, um, yeah. given that very public ultimatum um, in the changing room by Mauro Milanese. And it just felt very inconsistent with the sort of values and the culture of the club that we'd been used to. So definitely alarm bells started ringing then. And actually what was really revealing during the interviews on the podcast is that pretty much in pre-season um things had started to go sour so there was this initial optimism that this guy was coming in you know in the press conference he was very ambitious you know very articulate about his plans for the club we made a lot of good signings he was definitely investing but hmm. yeah when we talked to um, people like Dave Victor who knows the club very well um Matt Porter again uh, even Nathan Clark very early on things 
started to feel like they weren't right. And yeah, I think probably not visibly to fans, but even earlier than we started to perceive, um, there was this sense that this wasn't the right owner for the club. Yeah. Did you did you manage to speak to Russell Slade at all? We didn't speak to Russell. We 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 actually we did try. We've had Russell's spoken quite a lot on this. What what James and I tried to do was try to speak to people who hadn't uh, hadn't yet had a say on it. So most of the people we spoke to, uh, it was sort of the first time that they'd had a chance to speak about it. So yeah, we didn't didn't want to stamp on anyone else's ground and uh, go over old ground. So yeah. And was there anyone that you really wanted to get, but you couldn't quite because of well, the legal reasons or they just, they were, they they sort of were maybe having second thoughts and maybe they'll listen to the podcast and maybe then get involved as the episodes go on? Yeah, I mean, we would, we would love to speak to more of the people on the Italian side. And, uh, you know, I'd love to speak to Alessandro Angeleri. Um, you know, by everyone's account, he is the loveliest guy. Like, no one said a bad word about him as as a person. Like, yeah. you know, genuinely lovely guy. As a CEO, less so. Uh, <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think some, some of the calamitous decisions that he made or some of the perhaps more amusing initiatives that he came up with, um, and there's quite a lot about that in the podcast. Uh, I think I'd just love to hear his side on it and love to have a chat with him. So the door's still open to Alessandro if uh, if he wants to talk to us. Alessandro, if you're still listening, I'm not sure you've still got an interest in the O's, but if you do still listen to the Orient Hour, there you go. Uh, the door is open for you. Um, okay, so we'll just uh, we'll we'll wrap up, Matt. But um, is there anything else you'd like to say? So where is it going to be available? Uh, when does it start? Um, so season one, first four episodes are going to drop this Sunday. Um, so available wherever you get your podcasts. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on Stitcher. It's on Google. Uh, it's on SoundCloud. It's on YouTube. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you'll see me um, shamelessly promoting it very heavily. Um, so, uh, yeah, you should be able to find it there. It's called The Circus Upstairs. And shamelessly promote your Twitter handle as well for those people that are, are on Twitter. Uh, it's Wes underscore stand underscore O. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for West, those of you that are on Twitter. Underscore, underscore o. Yes, West underscore stand underscore O. Yeah, brilliant. Matt, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we genuinely appreciate it. I, I honestly, I can't wait to hear this. I'm really excited. The trailer, if those, for those of you that haven't seen the trailer on Twitter already, um, go and have a look at the trailer. It's brilliant. It really, really gets you kind of thinking back to where we where we were and well it made me feel lucky to uh to be where we are now but certainly it's something i can't wait to have a listen to matt thanks for your time today really appreciate it thanks it's been really great being on and thanks billy i appreciate uh you having me on to talk about it Cheers. matt simpson there thank you matt much appreciated uh really excited about that that uh that podcast series um gareth i know you said obviously it was before your time the bichette era so you'll be uh, you'll be maybe learning some stuff about the o's from uh, from the podcast well absolutely but um I, I guess the the complete mess the club ended up in was the actual motivation for me getting so involved in following them really because the first game i ever went to was the protest against colchester united uh, when they were going down to the national league so 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I still remember when um, I mean when he was uh, when he was in charge. There was a uh, there's a, there's a picture of me that was taken with a uh, Bichetti out shirt, and uh, that picture was of myself and my old man, and uh, it ended up going into a uh, a particular tabloid newspaper whose name I shall not mention, and it was it ended up going worldwide basically, um, and it was I think it was shown in, over in China in the newspaper the newspaper in China at one point, um, but. He saw that particular shirt, the machete out shirt. He was down by the side of the pitch, and I turned it around to show him uh, what I thought of him. And uh, he started to walk towards me. And whoever it was with him at the time, whether it was his mind or an advisor, whoever it was, just put his hand on his shoulder and just sort of pulled him away. And he, he kept looking back, and I could see that he wanted to come over. And I just thought, um, well, I mean, by all accounts, from what I hear about Mr. Machete, maybe I swerved a well, a literal bullet there, maybe potentially. <laughs> um, so, uh, so maybe that was a bit lucky. So, uh, Grant, coming over to you, um, any, any particular memories of Mr. Bichetti that uh, you'd like to share at all? It, the whole era, just from start to finish, was a complete shambles. And in the end, it wasn't funny anymore. It was funny in patches with regards to, oh, well, who's going to be the manager next week? You know, who's won the lottery? But in the end, it wasn't funny anymore when we had the winding up order, etc., etc. And it was our club. And, you know, to make Orient fans protest and run on the pitch, etc., etc., who are probably the, some of the most docile fans you're going to get out of the 92 league clubs, really that shows you everything about how bad, the, you know, the running of the club was. It was a toy that he decided he wanted to buy and play with, and then he realised, actually, it could burn his fingers. And thankfully, he let it go in just enough time, and we've got to be grateful for what we have now and the saviours of our club, um, Mr. Travis, Mr. Teague, etc., etc., and the stability that we've got now. You know, and we're moaning about the fact that we're, we're letting in a goal at Hartlepool. Man, we're eight man. points clear. <laughs> and look at what we had. We, before Justin came in, we could have been in the National League South, yeah. the way things were going. It was that bad for the, the damage that that man did in, what was it, three years? Yeah. Awful, awful. I just I, I want to I forget about it. I still have nightmares about it now. I mean, Christian Wheelis, uh, who's, who uh, often contributes to the show and comes on, um, he shared a f uh, picture of the flag that he bought with his son, which was, uh, and I believe it's just, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but uh, I believe it says something along the lines of, uh, the pain that you caused us will be nothing compared to the joy that we get, uh, our club, or something, it's something along those lines, you know. Um, and I think it was just, I remember seeing the flag at the uh, the first home game, and uh, I just, it, it's always stuck with me, that one. And he was absolutely bang on right. All right, talk about joy. Let's hope Carlisle is joyful on the weekend then. So um, we go into the Carlisle game uh, with having um, won one and drawn four of the last uh, five games. Carlisle themselves have only won two, drawn two and lost one. Um, what would your teams be for the weekend then? Uh, Gareth, I'm going to come over to you first of all. I'm going to repeat kind of what I said at the beginning. I think we need to change something. I'm not 100% sure what that is. But I think something needs to spark us into life. I mean, we're not, we're not scoring goals and we're not completely tight at the back where we need to be. It feels like a game that it's almost too difficult to predict given the form of the two sides, given the intensity and the pressure in which they find themselves. Um, but it feels like a game that we really, really desperately... If we could get a win, I think that would give us the boost we probably need to see out the season. Um, so I think we need to do something different. I don't know what it is. Is it a change of formation? Is it a change of personnel? Um, but as I said previously, it's like we've got 
that many options, it's difficult to know what might work. I mean, I, think we, I don't think it will happen, but I think we all hope and pray really hard that Archibald's fit again. That might be a move forward. I, th- yeah. I mean, it was, actually, it was good to see him and Dan Happy back on, mm. back in training or certainly doing some light running mm. today. I think they'll both be at least a few weeks yeah. away as yet. Uh, but I think you're right. It could be a big boost to the, to mm. the team in the coming weeks, but I certainly think it will be too, uh, too quick for Saturday. Mm. Right, don't sit on the fence. I don't want no splinters. I want to know your team for Saturday. Tell me. Right, I'm going to be optimistic uh, unreally optimistic I think we'll win I really do I f- it feels like a game we've come so far we've had some tough times but it's still very much in our own hands I think, I think the intensity and nerves are affecting us, us as fans and they're certainly affecting the players as well and I think it could just be one of those where everything clicks back into place so I'm going to say 2-0 Okay, and who are you picking? I want your team. I'm All not right, leaving so, this yeah, Let's go. I'd actually go with Sadlier to start the game. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I would, after, after what we're saying about Drinan, I'd probably start with Kelman simply because he's managed more goals. And I think Drinan is so desperately short of, of in needing a goal that I think it's becoming a bit of an issue for him. His confidence is shot to pieces. So I'd go Sadlier, Smith, Drinan as the front line. Um, Kelman. Uh, you Sorry, Kelman. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you keep the back four and the back three and the midfield three. Yeah, or the other option I might look at is perhaps moving Sadly into the number 10 role in place of Monker and just seeing how that fires things up a little bit. So. Interesting. Grant, you've got one minute. Well, um, I'd keep Monker in. I think that he's shown some form with us, picking up on that. Um, I think the full-backs is the key, I think, on Saturday. What he does with that, will he keep um, Jaden Sweeney in? Because he was alluding to the fact that maybe he's lost a little bit of form. And what will he do at right-back? Will he keep in Jordan Brown? He's got a lot of options, but what's the right one? Only Richie will know that. Um, Centre-backs, I go back to um, having Ed Turns and uh, Omar Beckles in. Um, the spine of the team is the key. Um, I'd have and I'd have our regular midfield back in there with El Mazzuni and uh, Prattley, etc. Um, and up front, I'd start with Kelman. Um, and I'd have Saturiu and Smith wide. Um, they'll be the ones where I think we'll get our goals. Um, fingers crossed that it goes well for us, but the spine of the team is the key. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, uh, I'll just give you my team quickly. I'm going to go with Vigoro, Brown, Turns and uh, Beckles at the back with Hunt at left back instead of Sweeney. Give him a quick rest. And then uh, Elmers, Prattley, Monker, Sadlier, Dryden and Smith up top. I want to see Smith and Sadlier in the same side. Take care, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye. We're the only one of us around And you know where we can be found When Sadlier comes again We'll be trying to do our best This is our club, we are proud So sing it up, sing aloud We were formed in 1881 The Claxton Orient had so begun The old story on it runs We're late and Orient from E10 Sing it out, best.
not city, we're not town We're the only one of us around Yeah, you know where we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the vest Whatever challenge, whatever test We're laying an orient from each end On the hour, across Brentwood and Billericay. This is Phoenix FM News.